Hey, it's Open Threads. It's my podcast. I'm Brian Castle. Welcome to it. Back on the show today is Benedict Dyka. He is the co-founder of UserList. Hey, here's my real-time-ish update for you, and I'm recording this one on May 6th, 2024. First, I just want to say that once and for all, the name of this podcast, I'm sticking with the name Open Threads. <laughs> you may have noticed I had briefly renamed it there uh, in early 2024. I was using the name Full Stack Founder. Well, long story short, I'm sunsetting that brand name and that website. It was a short-lived project that just didn't quite stick. So this podcast is back to its original name, Open Threads, from here on out. Okay, so uh, my so as for my update, uh, you know, my main focus now continues to be instrumental products. That is my product studio where I partner with clients mainly on UI and UX work, and uh, I specialize in designing modern interfaces for SaaS companies, and I deliver my designs in the form of coded HTML and Tailwind CSS templates and components. So that's the uh, the main um, service that I've been working with a couple of clients lately on, and uh, it's something that I continue to uh, to really double down on the rest of this year. Other than that, I'm spending the rest of my time building out some new software products of my own to uh, to add to my small portfolio. My main SaaS product, Clarity Flow, continues to run smoothly uh, with my small team, and we're always working on some imp- improvements there. So that's my update for now. On to the show. You've heard Benedict a couple episodes back where we talked about product and starting off a new SaaS company and deciding what to build. Well, as the technical co-founder in UserList, Benedict and I really geeked out in this second half on code and software frameworks and deciding on which tools to use. We talked about front end, we talked about back end, API driven development test-driven development or not test-driven development, but talking in depth about test coverage in SaaS and software. So I think it was a a fun opportunity to really geek out on the code side of things. I find it interesting, you know, there are so many SaaS podcasts out there, but most of them talk about the marketing side of SaaS, which of course is important, or they talk about the story of building a SaaS company, or, you know, there are some like development and software development podcasts out there, but they're not really talking about the business of SaaS. I think in this episode, Benedict and I had a really good chat talking about the technical considerations as they apply to a SaaS business. So I think you'll really enjoy it. For now, let's talk to Benedict about code. So, this is sort of like my, my like my age in this industry and being a little bit out of the loop in terms of developers because I started my career in the like early 2000s as a front end developer and what that meant back then was I was an expert in HTML and CSS like that's it <laughs> you know yeah. um, maybe like I would I would know a tiny thing or two about like not even JavaScript but like just jQuery back then right yeah so Fast forward 10, 15 years now, like a professional front-end developer, to me, correct me if I'm wrong, like 
they definitely have HTML, CSS chops, but they are a JavaScript expert. Would you say like that? Like they're they're much heavier. They're they're much more of a programmer these days than a, than like a design. Like I was much more like a designer. You know. Yeah, I mean that's maybe that. Yeah, let's maybe take a step back and be upfront about this. Like, UserList is a Rails application in the backend, but it doesn't have any view logic, any styling whatsoever it's basically just a json api and then it's a front-end code base in ember.js mm -hmm. that's that's actually a separate repository that just talks to the backend mm. and there are pros and cons to doing it like this again we i did just... want to ask you about that so okay so like a headless like rails api yeah yes exactly it, it's just an api with a few small exceptions, but for the most part, it's just the API. It's just shuffling data around. And the front end is its own, its own code base, has its own test suite, has all the styling, all the UI. So it's literally two separate code bases. And that also kind of explains why we, we're working on stuff separately some of the time, because yeah. it's actually what it is. Like it's not, there's no connection other than the API. Is that separation, you know, the, I, I know that's sort of like the more modern way to build most SaaS applications these days. Not all of them. I mean, we're completely integrated in zip message. It's a Rails app, you know, ton, a ton of yeah. view, views and ERB and then stimulus JS for handling a lot of the, which is essentially vanilla JavaScript wrapped in some stimulus controllers Yeah, and a ton of uh, Tailwind CSS. Like that's our stack that builds zip message like is that separation for you like is that how you built most of your projects before user list it was definitely a setup that i was familiar with from my previous product that i've built so we didn't really question it in that sense i feel like these days the pendulum has swung a little bit in the other direction these days it's more like let's build like just a race code base that does the real time stuff using turbo and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Where does Ember.js fit? Like, I've heard so much about it, but I, I really know nothing about how it works. Like, how does Ember compare to, like, Vue or React or, or that sort of stuff? Is it, like, lighter weight? Like, what is what is it? It's more like heavier weight React oh, or Vue, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> to me, Ember.js is basically the rails of the front end, where it's basically the battery-included front end framework similar to rails is like the backend framework that brings everything yeah and it's been around for like it kind of grew out of rails as well in a way a lot of core rails people eventually went off and built ember well maybe not a lot but a couple to me it had like a similar feeling of like when i first was using ember.js i had a similar similar feeling to when first using rails where it magically just worked yeah, it's just easy right I feel like the front end land is where I'm most out of touch these days, which is weird because I, I come from a, <laughs> a background as a front end and, and designer. I've had a few experiences. At, this is going back to like around 2017 or so, 2016, 17. I was working on a SaaS project and the developers chose to use Vue.js and I knew nothing about that. I, I literally only knew the, the HTML side. And they were, and it was plugged into into a Laravel app, which I also knew nothing about at the time. And my experience and my understanding of of Vue and things like it, like like React, 
you could do interesting things with it. You can make these single page applications with it, but it added so much more complexity to building and maintaining. We introduced so many new bugs with every new feature, just like UI bugs, that it just became so frustrating for me that once I really dug into learning full stack and I got heavily into Rails, I got so excited about the idea of like never touching big JavaScript frameworks like that ever again. And yeah. You know, just sticking to like stimulus JS and which is now called turbo and, you know, cause frankly, we're able to build like highly interactive stuff using simple vanilla, just browser based stuff, you know, and I, I love it that way, but I often wonder like, what are we missing out on now with things like Ember JS or what, you know, whatever other sort of front end tools or workflows, because, you know, you have this advantage of having you know, a whole career as a developer, like technical, like sort of like in the trenches on this stuff. And I feel like I've dipped in and out of development and in the last few years, just much heavier building these products. But like, I don't have all those years of experience having played around with different approaches, you know? So I'm, I'm always sort of like curious, like, so like, like you find like with, with Ember and, and having this like separated, like front end, it's, it's actually more efficient not from a user perspective, but I mean, for you guys, like shipping speed and maintaining the app, like it's a pretty, pretty solid setup, you feel? So again, like I chose this because I was familiar with it. So yeah, it, 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 it felt like an easy choice. In hindsight, I don't think we got all of the benefits from like splitting this off from the get-go. Like it definitely made stuff harder than it needed to be. And I feel like only these days where we're like getting more ambitious in terms of what we want to do on the front end and what like in terms of interactivity and how things feel and how things react. I think we're only now starting to slowly see the benefits of having a setup like this. Because it's true. I mean, it's more complicated of a setup than just going with vanilla rails that just does html erb css and mm -hmm. a little bit of javascript here and there like for example one of the things we we always well i always had on our roadmap was having a visual workflow builder that allows people to like orchestrate their campaigns and stuff like that mm -hmm. and a lot of it in the back end is already designed to work like that but we never got around to building the front end for it and yeah it's only that, now that beast, we're like right? Yeah, that's that's a beast. And I felt like that beast was enough of a reason to choose a JavaScript framework to be able to... Because it's like someday we're going to need to build like, it. We might like as well. Someday we're going to need that flexibility or like that reactiveness, I guess, it's, mm -hmm. is the term. And it's now, it's now actually on the roadmap. We're actually going to build it at some point. <laughs> it was supposed to be the next big thing we work on. Maybe there's something in between, but we see that's the process we're we're trying to figure mm -hmm. out right now. But I feel like those five years, maybe it was a waste of, well, not necessarily a waste, but maybe it slowed us down more than it benefited us. Yeah. I'm not saying that I regret the decision because in parts, like it makes things super convenient, but in other parts, it makes it harder than just like playing out HTML from the rails from the race back in. I could so it's that. always a, I don't it, know. It does seem like, like it's a, a good long-term choice. I mean, we're, we're not going to like rebuild anything anytime soon, but like we're starting to think about a mobile app 
for zip message, like a dedicated iOS and Android app. And for that, we'd probably start to move toward like, all right, we have our API and then the, the mobile app talks to it. Right. So that's something that might come sometime next year. Hey, real quick. This podcast is sponsored by instrumental products. That's my product studio where I and my small crew, we take new product ideas from concept to launched. I'm a full stack product designer and developer, and I love collaborating with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies to bring that spark of energy into new product ideas. Think of instrumental products as your shortcut to shipping that next idea and getting it into the hands of your customers as efficiently as possible. Got something to ship? Let's talk. Visit instrumentalproducts.com to learn more. You know, before we wrap up, I did want to touch on something because we just really went deep on this over at ZipMessage is testing, you know, writing automated tests. I know it's something you're you're very experienced in. And this is where, all right, I'm just going to talk about like the, the challenge that we just had with it. Yeah. And this is so much about my inexperience in writing and using tests in software development. Again, a few years back, a few attempts ago with SAS, we had no tests and I experienced the pain of having like zero test coverage, right? So then when I got into process kit and then in zip message, I went way the other way. Like we need hundred percent test coverage on every single thing we ever build. Right. And it helped, but I think what I'm literally just learning recently now is so I, I just spent so much effort and me and my team on writing feature tests, integration tests, you know, which are clearly like the slowest to run the, the most brittle, they fail the most in different environments. And we, we've built up hundreds and hundreds of these feature tests. And I think that we ended up like way too heavy on the feature test side and too light on like unit tests and request tests and things like that. And so that's one of the things that I'm learning now is, is we should have been, we, we should have kept the test coverage up the whole way through, but much more on the unit test side than the free feature request side. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what can you speak to in terms of your approach to having a well-tested application? And what is your approach to actually writing tests for every new feature? Do you do like test-driven development where you're writing the test first? Do you do it afterward? What types of tests, how, how does it all kind of fit together for you? Yeah. So I feel like oh, I, I want to address the, the feature tests a little bit. I feel like if you're not writing any tests, start by writing feature tests because they mm -hmm. test a lot of things in one go. Like right. you write run test and they test almost all of it or even all of it. And, and that was the thinking. Like if we have a good feature test written, then we just, then we mostly know that like most of what's yeah. happening under the hood is working because the test passed. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's totally the right approach in my books. And, and for, for anyone listening who is, who is not familiar with this, just a, a quick thing. By feature test, we mean like literally writing a, like an automated test that like kind of clicks through a browser experience, a user like clicking this button, and then they should see this, and then they go onto this page, and this should happen, and confirm that this element is on the page, and then it passes, right? Yeah. So it's very high level, and therefore it tests the entire thing because it's literally acting like a user. The downside is it's super slow and it can be super brittle if you're not super careful because mm -hmm. 
you change the label of the button and suddenly the test doesn't work anymore because it wants to click on the save button and not on the next step mm -hmm. button or whatever. In our application, I think we're even lacking a little bit of the feature tests because at this stage, we don't have automated tests that do the full stack, like from the browser through our API to the database because it's separate code bases that is mm. a lot harder than it maybe should be. So we are testing the front end in isolation and the back end in isolation at this mm -hmm. stage. So on the front end, that means we're doing tests for like kind of unit tests for individual components. So we want to make sure that we have a drop down. If you click it, it shows a menu. And then if you hit the arrow key, it moves to the next item and stuff like that. So we test these things in isolation. And then we have kind of like feature tests where we test like you go to the sign up page, you enter your name and your email address and your password and click next, get a confirmation and there's an API call to the backend that creates that user. So we we test those parts on the front end and then on the back end we do a lot of we do a lot of I I personally do a lot of unit tests because I feel like it's the easiest way to test business logic because you're just like checking that a few small components are working correctly in an isolated fashion. And then on top of that, we do a little bit of request specs where we, where we like, okay, if I make a get request to this resource, I should get this list back mm -hmm. and it doesn't include uh, users that belong to a different account or stuff like that. So we do, in a way, it's a little bit like feature testing, but again, it's not like the full stack, it's just the API. But most of our tests are unit tests. Are you writing as you implement the feature? Depends a little bit. I'm not doing test-driven development these days because I feel like test-driven development is great if you know what you're building. Yeah. But a lot of times we have a rough idea of what we want, but... It takes shape like after it's in the browser. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It takes a while until you actually know what you're building and you actually know how it's supposed to behave. Yeah. So what usually happens is that we build something rough, then add tests for it, and then in the process of adding tests to it, figure out where it's actually broken. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's a lot of like doing an experiment, having a thesis of what we what we like to do, and then playing around with it, either in the browser or using the Rails console in development by just like hooking stuff up and once we're fairly certain that it's got the correct behavior we start adding tests for like all the edge cases and yeah as you write the tests you usually come up with like crazy ideas how to break this yeah and yeah. <laughs> uh, more often than not you actually break it and learn about things you haven't considered before and then yeah. we adjust the code again and it's a little bit of back and forth this is again it's one of those things where like we just literally went through a whole two weeks of my developer and i like going through our whole test suite, literally removing a lot of feature tests that were just too redundant, adding a lot of headache to our, to running our tests, making them like less useful and then like running the tests in parallel. And then now, like, like now going forward, like our policy, me and my developers is to focus much more on the unit test side. And it, I guess from a workflow standpoint, cause we used to always build features and then write the feature tests as the final step in the shipping process, right? Like we would or one of the final steps, like we would build the feature, manually test it, and then make sure we write a bunch of feature, mostly feature tests to make sure it's all working. And that's sort of 
that workflow can work when you're using feature tests, but I feel like with unit tests, you want to be writing those as you build the methods and the service objects and the workers and stuff like that. Like otherwise yeah. you're, it's hard to like go back and find all those pieces to, to write tests for. Yeah. It happens really close to each other. Like, yeah, at some point at the same time, but I re again, rarely do the test first and then write the code afterwards. It's more like developing it together and sort of, I feel like what's nice about getting the unit tests really solid is like, that's in my books, that's the place where the serious problems arise, mm -hmm. <laughs> like in terms of, if you get the business logic wrong, in our case, we might be sending the wrong email to the wrong user or stuff like that, mm -hmm. or sending too much emails or yeah. stuff like that. So we always try to get that part nailed down as much as possible. And then like if the UI shows the slightly wrong state or maybe the page doesn't load in the UI, that's less of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> like sure, oh, it's totally. not great, but it's also not, it's not causing an email to one of our customers, customers and like upsetting them about our customer and stuff like that. So hundred percent. And we have, I, you know, I put like a, an important tag, like the word important on probably 20% of our tests, you know, cause this is like a really important part of the app that gets used every single day, you know? So I use the important tag. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to break the core, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the things that are like, like signing up for an account and sending a, a message and, and, you know, that sort of stuff are like, if we're going to, like we, we routinely run a hundred percent of our tests, but if we want to just make sure that the most important stuff are working, then we'll just run the important ones. Right. Yeah. And then same thing with, with Stripe, which is our billing system, you know, at any test that interacts with Stripe, we, we put a Stripe tag on it so that like, again, like anything billing related, we, we want to make sure that we're not going to double charge someone or that we're handling, yeah. like handling, like plan downgrades and upgrades correctly and stuff like that. So it's always a tricky process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Benedict, this is, this is awesome. I, I love getting the chance to like geek out <laughs> with someone on, <laughs> on the tech side of, of SAS. I, I do feel like there are, you know, there, there's a lot of like podcasts that are like just for developers, just talking code, but that's just, that's not necessarily like about SaaS. And then there's a lot of SaaS podcasts that are mostly talking about marketing. They're not really talking about the actual product. So I'm glad we, we have, you know, these couple of episodes here to, uh, to talk a little product. So it feels good. Yeah. I feel like there's a, there's room for a technical SaaS podcast or something like that. <laughs> there should be. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully we'll we'll do this again. I'll keep keeping tabs on user list. I love what you guys are doing. I think I think it's really exciting. I, I really feel like you guys are starting to really hit your stride in terms of building some really interesting things. Yeah. We'll be waiting for the visual workflow builder. <laughs> should should come any day now. Hopefully right? soon. Yeah. Like I mean <laughs> both me and our front end of we're both excited about getting to this. But looking at customer feedback, there might be something else that's more requested mm -hmm. than this. So maybe it makes sense to do this, this other thing first. <laughs> yeah. And, and folks, if you have not, you know, tried user list, really, I, I do recommend giving it a look, especially just from a design standpoint, if you're just going to like look at the website and the interface, you know, you and Jane have, have done a really fantastic job with it. It's, it's pretty impressive. So. Thank you. Well, the, the design is a hundred percent on Jane. I'm just making sure I build it the way she wants it. 
Hey, I mean, the, the styling, sure. But like, you know, I, I strongly believe that the design of software happens, you know, front to back. You know, I, I, I literally think of, of designing from database models to have, how it interacts with the user. So I think you guys have That's done an true. awesome job. Yeah. Thank you. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, Benedict. Yep. Thanks. That does it for today's episode of Open Threads. What'd you think? Let me know on Twitter or X. I'm at CastJam. And you can find the full videos for all episodes of Open Threads on the YouTube channel for this podcast. That's youtube.com slash open threads. One more thing. I'd really appreciate if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. That helps a lot. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one. Thank you.